So we will start the Dhamma talk with the Namo Tassa. <coughs> Namo Tassa Bhagavata Arahata Sama Sambodasa Namo Tassa Bhagavata Arahata Sama Sambodasa Namo Tassa Bhagavata Arahata Sama Sambodasa Tonight I will continue to talk about the Bojangas, the enlightenment factors. So we have seen that these seven enlightenment factors, the Bojanga, are considered to be very potent and effective medicine. Very effective medicine to cure the diseases of the mind as well as the diseases of the body. And in my last talk on Monday, I was talking about the first of these seven enlightenment factors about Sati Sambhojanga, the enlightenment factor of mindfulness, explaining this factor in regard to its characteristic, to its function, to its manifestation, as well as its proximate cause. So today, after a short introduction, we will have a look at the second uh, of these enlightenment factors, namely the enlightenment factor of investigation of states, Dhamma Vijaya Sambhojanga in Pali. In the Satipatthana Sutta, the discourse on the foundations of mindfulness, the seven enlightenment factors are listed in the fourth contemplation of mindfulness namely in the contemplation of Dhammas. And talking about the contemplation of Dhammas, Joseph Goldstein in his talk has spoken about this and called it um, categories of experience. In another sutta, the Anapanasati Sutta, the Buddha showed how the four foundations of mindfulness fulfill these seven factors of enlightenment. And I'd like to read this passage from this Sutta. And how, because, or as we know, refers to all who practice the meditation, so it could be, and how meditators do the four foundations of mindfulness developed and cultivated fulfill the seven enlightenment factors? Because on whatever occasion a bhikkhu or a meditator abides contemplating the body as body, feelings as feelings, mind as mind, and mind objects as mind objects or dhammas as dhammas 
ardent, fully aware and mindful, having put away covetousness and grief for the world, on that occasion unremitting mindfulness is established in a bhikkhu. On that occasion the mindfulness enlightenment factor is aroused in him and he develops it and by development it comes to fulfillment in him. Then to the next one. Abiding thus mindful he investigates and examines that state with wisdom and embarks upon a full inquiry into it. On that occasion the investigation of states, enlightenment factor, is aroused in him. Then, in one who investigates and examines that state with wisdom, and embarks upon a full inquiry into it, tireless energy is aroused. On that occasion the energy enlightenment factor is aroused in him. Then, in one who has aroused energy, unworldly rapture arises. On that occasion the rapture enlightenment factor is aroused in him. And then, in one who is rapturous, the body and the mind become tranquil. On that occasion, the tranquility enlightenment factor is aroused in him. Then, in one whose body and mind is tranquil and who feels pleasure, the mind becomes concentrated. On that occasion, the concentration enlightenment factor is aroused in him. And lastly, he closely looks on with equanimity at the mind thus concentrated. On that occasion, the equanimity enlightenment factor is aroused in him. So this is from the Anapanasati Sutta. And so from this explanation we see that there is no need to deliberately uh, develop these seven enlightenment factors. If we diligently and ardently follow the instructions and are mindful of every object that arises in body and mind, then these enlightenment factors will naturally arise. So let's take the example of observing the rising and falling movement of the abdomen. So as a first step we need to be mindful. So that means we establish mindfulness in regard to this abdominal movement. Then with mindfulness as a basis we constantly observe this object and this careful observation amounts to investigation, investigation of states, the second enlightenment factor. So this kind of investigation that we use in Vipassana meditation 
is not an analytical investigation. It's not an intellectual approach to understand the object. It's rather an unbiased observation of what is present at this very moment. And so it's an intuitive understanding um, of what is observed. So as we observe this rising and falling movement, we might see it as expanding and contracting, or we see it as rising and falling, or we might even be able to see this um, rising movement and falling movement or expansion and is contraction as separate movements of rising and falling, like a series of little rising movements, one after the other. And carefully observing these movements, we also see them arising and disappearing. And there might be a stage when observing these rising and falling movement of the abdomen when we lose the notion of the belly or even losing the notion of the body, not being aware of the form of the body anymore. And so we just are aware of rising and falling movements and the mind that notes it. And so we come to see these rising and falling movements and the mind which is aware of it as just natural processes happening on their own accord. So this direct and intuitive understanding of the true nature of phenomena is the out outcome of this investigation of states. That's the enlightenment factor, uh, Dhamma Vijaya. And so to engage in this non-conceptual and intuitive investigation and examination of this rising and falling movement, this needs a certain amount of energy or effort. So having established mindfulness and examining the object in the way just explained, this arouses energy. And um, as I read in that passage from the Anapanasati Sutta, it arouses tireless energy. Without any effort or energy, nothing can be accomplished. When I was small, my mother used to say, this is Swiss German. Uh, it means, from nothing comes nothing. Basically, the law of cause and effect. So if there is no cause, then no effect will arise. 
And then when energy is aroused by observing and examining the rising and falling movement of the abdomen, then the mind starts to get really interested in the object. And so this pleasurable interest in the object, this is piti in Pali, rapture or zest. Rapture, piti, is a mental state, but it also manifests in the body as pleasurable sensations such as tingling or goosebumps or vibrations or shaking, sometimes also as jerky movements of the arms or the legs. And then when rapture arises, then the body and mind naturally become more tranquil and calm. The calming down of the mental and physical formation results then in a greater ease. And then the rising and falling movement can be more clearly observed and noted. And as the mind and the body become more calm and tranquil, then the mind can become more focused on the object which is observed. So that means that the mind becomes more concentrated on this abdominal movement. Then the mind can stay one-pointedly on this object. And when the mind becomes concentrated of the object, carefully observing it as it is from moment to moment, then the mind can do so with equanimity. And at that time the mind is in a balanced state and simply observing this abdominal rising and falling movement. So in this way, the enlightenment factors will naturally arise as a result of one's ardent and diligent practice based on mindfulness, sati. So now we will have a closer look at the second factor of enlightenment, the enlightenment factor of investigation of states. Pali, Dhamma Vijaya Sambhojanga. And actually, Dhamma Vijaya is a designation for insight, understanding, or wisdom. Pali word for it is Panya. So, Dhamma Vijaya refers actually to Panya. And generally, it means the insight or understanding of mental and physical phenomena as they truly are. And in the highest sense, Dhamma Vijaya refers to that understanding of mental and physical phenomena as they really are through the practice of Vipassana meditation, through direct experiential understanding. And so this factor is 
um, indispensable for the practice. The enlightenment factor of mindfulness, Smati, is very important and this is the basic requirement. But if there is no understanding or insight, then the goal could not be reached. It's only with insight, understanding, with wisdom, that it is possible to eradicate ignorance and to put an end to all suffering. This factor, Dhamma-vijaya, investigation, investigation of Dhammas, of states, can, only be, uh, can also be understood on a worldly level. And on a worldly level, then it means to acquire knowledge, worldly knowledge, or to acquire skills to enhance one's life. So for example, the whole education that we go through as children, going to school, college, even a university, this is acquiring worldly knowledge or as grown-ups maybe we want to expand our knowledge and so we attend classes uh, computer classes or classes in organic gardening or classes in business management and so on or another example is like Farmers, even if they have not gone through a, a school education, but still they need to have some knowledge uh, in their field. So, for example, planting uh, seeds, they must know the right time, the right season for planting the seeds. They must know how to go about it, how to do that, and how to take care of the growing uh, plants and to know the right time for the harvest. When I was young, uh, my parents, or we lived in a flat, and so we didn't have a garden. And, uh, but later on, once I, when I was sharing a flat in a small house, then my friend and we, I myself, we had a little plot in the garden. And so, one time in spring, I thought it would be nice to plant some tomatoes in the garden. So, I went to the market and bought little tomato plants and then planted them in one spot of our garden. And after having planted them, I had a cup of tea sitting out in the garden and was happy to have planted some tomatoes, looking forward to the time I could eat the tomatoes. And as I was having my cup of tea, the neighbor came out in the garden and she came to the fence and we started talking. And then she saw these newly planted tomato plants. <laughs> and she said, well, you know, uh, you planted these tomatoes too close together. They need much more space. And also, you know, I think 
that space over there in the garden would be a more suitable place to plant the tomatoes. Okay. This was the first and the last time that I did some gardening. <laughs> <laughs> but it was also like the following year I took my backpack and became a homeless backpacker and that then resulted to become a homeless nun. Dhammavijaya also means to acquire some intellectual knowledge of the Dhamma. And so to acquire some intellectual knowledge of the Dhamma, this can be done by asking questions to those who have some Dhamma knowledge, or it can be done by reading books, or by attending Abhidhamma classes, or doing Sutta studies, or attending Dhamma discussions. So in all these different ways one can expand one's intellectual knowledge in regard to the Dhamma. According to a commentary, acquiring uh, Vijaya or insight, wisdom, uh, also involves understanding the difference between wholesome and unwholesome phenomena. So knowing which phenomena or actions are kusala, wholesome, which ones are akusala, unwholesome. And actually there is a third class of phenomena. They are called indeterminate. They are neither wholesome nor unwholesome. And this kind of phenomena which are classified as indeterminate are the resultant types of consciousness, the vipaka types of consciousness, as well as the functional, functional types of consciousness, kiriya. So these resultant and functional kinds of consciousness are neither wholesome nor unwholesome, but they are classified as indeterminate. So a class of consciousness which cannot be determined in terms of the dichotomy of wholesome or unwholesome. So now let's have a look at Dhammavijaya in regard to its characteristic, function, manifestation and proximate cause. So this enlightenment factor of investigation of states has the characteristic of investigation. So when things are investigated and examined understanding, knowledge, insight arises and this understanding or knowledge, insight refers to three general kinds of discernment. The first one is the understanding of the difference between mental and physical phenomena 
so to know that there are physical phenomena, that there are mental phenomena, and that they are not the same. And as we have heard, this understanding or this inside knowledge that can discern between uh, Nama and Rupa arises as the first uh, inside knowledge, Nama Rupa Parecidanyana. Then the second uh, kind of discernment is to understand the three general characteristics of impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, and non-self. And this understanding starts to uh, come about at the third stage of inside knowledge, which is samasana jnana, inside knowledge discerning the three general characteristics. And then the third kind of discernment is to understand the Four Noble Truths, the truths of suffering, its cause, its cessation, and the way leading to the cessation. And this understanding or this insight wisdom arises at the first stage of enlightenment. So it comes about through path knowledge and fruition knowledge. But if we put it very simply and very generally, we can say that this enlightenment factor has the characteristic of seeing whatever arises in body and mind as it really is. So for example, this means seeing and understanding the rising and falling movement of the abdomen as uh, at the moment of its occurrence seeing it simply as rising, a rising movement and seeing it as falling, a falling movement or other experiences in the body when there is cold then seeing and understanding this experience simply as cold, or understanding heat as heat, or tingling as tingling, aching as aching, hardness as hardness, and so on. Regarding to mental objects, experiences in the mind, it means to simply see and understand greed as greed to see and understand hatred as hatred, to see and understand boredom as boredom, laziness as laziness, happiness as happiness, and so on. And we remember that is the advice given in the Satipatthana Sutta, in the contemplation of the mind one knows the mind affected with greed as a mind affected with greed and so on or when we do walking meditation then we see and understand 
the lifting movement of the foot simply as lifting or we may see it as a series of broken little uh, lifting movements and similarly we just know the pushing movement as pushing or uh, little moments of pushing movements one after the other and likewise in the dropping or when we are able to know the intentions before the movements then we simply know the intention to lift the foot as an intention or the intention to push the foot forward is seen and understood as intention and then the movement uh, is seen and understood as such so these kinds of understanding seeing movements as movements a series of broken movements as broken movements or seeing intention as intention this belongs to this enlightenment factor of investigation of states and also in the awareness of the daily activities it's to be understood in the same way like seeing and understanding the stretching out of the arm as a stretching movement or the, uh, when we chew the food knowing, understanding this chewing movement simply as chewing, as movement or experiencing a taste, sweet, being aware of uh, the sweetness and so on and so these kinds of understanding of knowing also belong to this enlightenment factor of investigation of states then the function of this enlightenment factor is to illuminate the object so this enlightenment factor of investigation of states is compared to a lamp or to a light so if it's pitch dark then one cannot see anything but when the light is turned on then the light illuminates the object for example if we switch off all the lights here in this room and if it is pitch dark then we won't see anything but as soon as the light is switched on then we can clearly see the door, the windows, the cushions, the mats, the Buddha statues so then all the objects can clearly be seen and recognized so it's with the existence of the light that all these different things, objects are revealed and in the same way the enlightenment factor of investigation of states reveals and illuminates the nature of all mental and physical phenomena because of its function because its function is to illuminate and reveal the nature of objects it's compared to a lamp or a light 
And so how is this factor manifested? How does it manifest um, in our experience? This enlightenment factor of investigation of states manifests as non-bewilderment. And this is compared to a skilled uh, guide who can take a stranger, a visitor, to any place in the area. So this skilled guide has a great knowledge about all the different places uh, in the area. This skilled and knowledgeable guide knows the path, the way uh, to get there. And with his great knowledge, then this guide can point out things on the way, say, this is such and such, that uh, came to be then and then, and so on. So without the guide, we would be lost in an unknown area, not find our way to our destination, and not knowing what was there along the road. But with this skilled and knowledgeable guide, we come to know what is along the path, and we also will surely get to our destination. And likewise, as the skilled guide, inside knowledge, which is this enlightenment factor, can guide and direct the mind to clearly see and understand the objects observed in body and mind. And with that, the mind is no longer confused. There is no more bewilderment in the mind. When a meditator reaches the fourth stage of insight knowledge, which is the insight knowledge of seeing clearly the arising and passing away of phenomena, then this uh, enlightenment factor of investigation of states is quite well developed. And so, as a result of it, the nature of any physical or mental phenomena that is observed is clearly seen, is unmistakably um, understood. It's like this enlightenment factor of investigation of states is uh, pointing out or directing, saying this is impermanence or this is non-self, that is uh, unsatisfactoriness, or like pointing out this is a physical phenomenon, or that is a mental phenomenon. And so then, with this clear and uh, unmistakable seeing or understanding of the objects observed, the meditator comes to realize that what he thought this phenomena to be before he or she took up meditation was 
actually wrong or it was not according to reality. So what the meditator took to be permanent or as satisfying turns out to be impermanent, fleeting, changing all the time and it turns out to be uh, unsatisfactory or turns out to be a source of stress. And so in this way the enlightenment factor of investigation of states clearly points out uh, the true nature of things. The proximate cause for this enlightenment factor to arouse, to arise, is, as the Buddha uh, said, to give frequently careful attention. The Pali expression for it is Yoniso Manasikara. So wise attention, manasikara, uh, must be present, as you have seen also, for mindfulness to arise. And it also must be present for this dhamma-vijaya uh, to arise. So frequently giving careful attention is the proximate cause for this enlightenment factor to arouse, arise. That's what the Buddha mentioned. And in the commentary, they mention seven uh, causes for this enlightenment factor uh, to arise. And the seven causes are to ask questions about those points that are not clear. The second one is to keep things clean and pure. The third one is to balance the mental faculties. The fourth one is to avoid unwise persons. The fifth one is to associate with wise persons. The sixth one is to reflect on profound dhammas. And the seventh proximate cause is to incline the mind to arouse the enlightenment factor of investigation of states. So regarding the first uh, cause, to ask questions. <coughs> ask questions about all these points that are not clear or about those points that we are confused. So in regard to the meditation practice, like if it's not clear what mental and physical phenomena are or questions regarding the aggregates or the sense bases and so on. And so one should ask somebody who has some knowledge about these matters. But actually when engaging in meditation practice, being on retreat, then it's not, there's not so much a big uh, need to ask these questions because 
first of all, some or many of these questions might uh, be answered in the Dhamma talks, and these different topics are dealt with. And second, many of the questions that <coughs> you have will also be answered through your own personal direct experience. And so therefore, during an intensive meditation retreat, only the most pressing uh, or irritating questions should be asked. In regard to the second cause, which is to keep things pure and clean. So this is explained as keeping things clean and pure uh, in regard to internal things and external things. Keeping internal things clean actually refers to our body. So to keep our body clean and uh, pure. And to keep external things clean means to keep the things that we use in our day-to-day -day lives clean and pure. It is said that if the body becomes dirty or is soiled with dust or dirt or sweat or internal parasites, then these impurities are like a shadow cast over the body and mind. And with that, it is said that it's more difficult for insights to arise. In regard to the body, or to the health of the body, so, for example, if one becomes uh, constipated, then there can be become quite a major uh, difficulty for one's uh, meditation practice because this is quite a vital bodily function. Or if one suffers from headaches or uh, muscle pain or dizziness or nausea, then the mind is no longer uh, relaxed and peaceful. And so when there is discomfort, pain in the mind and in the body, then it becomes difficult to concentrate on the objects and without concentration it's difficult for insights to arise. Therefore it is said one should uh, very well take care of one's body and keep it clean. One of my teachers Saido Uindaka uh, has given this advice. Make sure that your digestions, digestion works well and that you can go to the toilet regularly. Consequently, your body will feel light and the mind will become clear, alert and calm. Then insight will arise. So besides the body, 
it's important to keep external things clean and tidy and this refers to keep uh, our clothes uh, clean and neat so it said one should not wear dirty or smelly uh, clothes because this is not conducive for insights to arise and to keep external things clean also refers to the room or to the house uh, we live in so one should keep one's room clean neat and uh, orderly it's said if one keeps if the room is messy and dirty then it's more difficult for insights to arise and the third uh, cause mentioned for this enlightenment factor to arise is to balance the mental faculties so the mental faculties must be balanced and there are altogether 22 mental faculties but usually five of them are um, more stressed like the five mental faculties we have dealt with them some time ago in one of the talks so these are the mental faculties of faith of effort mindfulness concentration and wisdom and so these five mental faculties must be kept in balance which means faith and wisdom must be well balanced and concentration and effort must be well balanced which means they should neither be too strong nor too weak but for mindfulness there is no danger that mindfulness can become too strong it can be too weak yes but it never can become uh, too strong then the fourth cause that is mentioned in the commentary says to avoid unwise persons so one should avoid per unwise persons and the term, the party term used for unwise persons is dumeda and a dumeda is described as a person devoid of insight or wisdom that means that such a person has no direct and personal experience of the true nature of phenomena and so this term dumeda or unwise person only refers to a person without personal direct experience uh, gained from meditation it doesn't refer to a person uh, without intellectual or scriptural knowledge and what is meant to have a personal or experiential understanding uh, means 
to have personally experienced the arising and passing away of phenomena as it can be seen at the fourth stage of, in, uh, of insight knowledge. So this, person, uh, this term to made up or unwise person and to avoid uh, such an unwise person only refers to a person who has not had a personal direct experience of the arising and passing away of objects. And so it is said that one should not choose such a dumeda or unwise person as one's meditation teacher because such a person having no direct experience of the arising and passing away of phenomena cannot give proper and adequate uh, guidance uh, for meditation. Then the fifth cause is to avoid, no, to associate with wise persons. And so a wise person is the opposite of a dumeda, which means a wise person is that kind of person who has direct and personal uh, experience of the arising and passing away of phenomena. So a person who has at least reached the fourth stage of insight knowledge. So even if a person has a wide scriptural knowledge or even if that person can give inspiring Dhamma talks or even if that person has a wide range of worldly knowledge still this is not yet considered to be a wise person in this sense. At one time a Burmese layman wanted to know some things about Vipassana meditation and so he approached a Sayadaw, a monk, and asked him all these questions. And this Sayadaw was well versed in the scriptures and on top of that he was also uh, renowned for his impeccable morality as well as for his honesty and straightforwardness. And the Sayadaw had practiced some Samatha meditation uh, but when this Burmese man brought forth questions regarding Vipassana meditation, Desayado advised him to go to another monk who had actually some personal and direct experience with Vipassana meditation. And so this honest and straightforward Desayado did not give him any vague answers or some answers based on the scriptures but he advised him to go to a more experienced person somebody who had really uh, practiced Vipassana meditation then the sec sixth uh, cause is to reflect 
on profound dhammas and this means that one should reflect on dhammas that one has uh, experienced oneself in one's meditation practice and if one has not much experience on these dhammas then one should go and ask a person who has some direct and personal experience of the dhammas and then uh, try to remember these words of that person and lastly the seventh cause for this enlightenment factor to arise is to incline the, incline the mind to arouse this enlightenment factor of an investigation of states so the meditation practice should be done with the mind carefully attuned to the arising uh, of each mental and physical phenomena or being carefully attuned to being mindful to be aware of every a mental and physical object as it really is so one should incline one's mind to continuously uninterruptedly being aware of the object or the successive objects arising trying to do so without having any gaps and so with this attitude then understanding insights will naturally arise so to sum up this enlightenment factor of investigation of states is another designation for panya for understanding wisdom inside and this understanding wisdom inside is important in both worldly and spiritual matters and in spiritual matters in connection with the practice of meditation Dhammavijaya mainly refers to understanding or insight and it's this kind of intuitive insight or understanding that arises by carefully observing each arising object in body and mind so when the meditators are able to continuously be aware of each object as it arises in the body and mind without having any gaps then the mind becomes quite sharp and penetrating and as a result of that Dhammavijaya is able to investigate or examine this object and in this way the object can be seen and understood as it really is and it is in this way that insight, understanding and uh, wisdom arises 
And then when this understanding inside is mature, when the practice is mature, then this inside this understanding will result in the past knowledge, the fruition knowledge, the experience of Nibbana. So we'll conclude this summer talk here. May all of you be able to develop this enlightenment factor of investigation of states to its fullest potential and together with the other enlightenment factors may you be able to penetrate these four noble truths. May all of you become swiftly fully liberated. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.